Well, look, my name is Jeff. Glad to have you guys here with us. I want to say a big hello to all of our campuses. Uh, right now, as we gather here in Kearney, there is a large group gathering in North Platte. Um, we've got a large group gathering in Ogallala, and we've got a group gathering online with us as well. So, so excited to have everybody with us as we kick off a brand new teaching series because, look, this is what I love about it, right? It was back to school Sunday. I knew that a number of new people would walk through the doors, and I wanted to give you a gift. I wanted you to not jump into the middle of something. I wanted you to be with us at the beginning of something. How many of you guys hate jumping into the middle of a group that already knows each other, in the middle of a plan that's already being worked out, right? I don't like it. How many of you guys love to jump in at the beginning? You can be a part of something from the start right? All right. So it's my little gift to you, all right? My gift to you. Hey, look, uh, we're going to start the series. It's going to be different than our, our normal series, though. I'm just going to tell you that right now. We're jumping into the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at the seven churches that Jesus writes a letter to. He writes a letter to seven different churches. In each of those letters that he writes to those churches, they act like a mirror to you and me today. There is a reflection of their behavior, of the way that they live, right, of how, of how they're walking out their faith <clears throat> that we can apply to our life today. So we're going to use God's word like a mirror, which, by the way, is super important. You know, because have you ever been to like a carnival or to a fair that had like a fun house with those really like funky, weird mirrors that you look at? You've been to those before? <clears throat> when you look into those things, and, and the first one that I like to go to is the one that makes me look tall and skinny. <laughs> I like that one. Because with our broadcasting technology in North Platte and in Ogallala and online, I look taller and skinnier. And I like that. I know this because when I go and I visit those campuses, I always get a weird look from people when I walk through the doors. And they look at me, and they kind of like, man, I thought you were taller. and I know, I look shorter and fatter, don't I? They're like, yeah, pastor, you do. And I'm like, oh, man, my normal self, shorter and fatter. Everybody wants to look taller and skinnier, so we like those mirrors. Come on, somebody, right? Right? Yeah. And then you go to the next one, it makes you look short and fat, right? And you kind of joke, and you're like, I'm moving on. And you go to the next one, and you look you look wavy and distorted. You know the one I really, really like the most, though? I like the one that makes your legs look twice as long and your torso look short. I don't know what it is about that mirror. Like, there's just something about that mirror that I just go, I could stand there all day and laugh at myself, right? All right? So if you got a gift for me, buy me one of those mirrors. <clears throat> no, but but here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. If you're looking at the wrong mirror, you're going to see yourself wrong. If you're looking at the right mirror, you're going to see yourself right. Here's what we try to do. We, we try to evaluate ourselves by looking into mirrors like this. The mirror of happiness as defined by the world. If you're looking at yourself through the mirror of happiness as defined by the world, guess what's never going to happen? You're never going to be happy. right? Because that is chasing a pipe dream. Few, few will reach the bar of whatever that mirror is supposed to be projecting and even those who reach that bar, because they've got enough money and access and freedom, even though they reach that bar, they're still not happy. Then there are others 
who are trying to look at themselves through the mirror of a self-image that's produced from consumerism. And I'm just going to tell you right now that if you try to chase after that image that you're trying to see of yourself in a mirror that's being shaped by consumerism in this world, you're going to end up broke and unhappy. See, if you're looking into the wrong mirror, you're going to see yourself wrong. The only accurate mirror that we have to evaluate our lives so that we can become the people God wants us to be is God's word. See, God's word works like this, that when you look at your life through God's word, number one, it doesn't lie to you, right? And number two, it presents an, it presents an image that's actually achievable. See, that's the truth that you find in God's word that you don't find anywhere else. That's why in this series it's so important that we're going to use these letters not to discover some cryptic message that's written in them. We're going to use them as a mirror so that we can see ourselves and are we living our life the way that God wants us to. Because literally, guys, these seven letters could be written to seven churches right now in 2022. Right? They were written you know, thousands of years ago, but they could be written today. We are going to find ourselves. We're going to look at these messages, and we're going to say, okay, where am I in this message? Not just where are we corporately, but where am I in the midst of this? So when I started putting this series together, I, I really started to clearly see that there are a few common threads in every single letter. These four things are the things that we're going to talk about every single week that we gather together over the next six weeks. This is a six-week series, starts today. And we're going to see these four things are going to pop up over and over and over again. These are our main points throughout the entire series. Jesus, who is he? Because in each one of these letters, it tells us something about who he is. Do. What are we to do? There's In every one of these letters... There is an instruction to the local church that says, hey, you guys are doing these things really, really well. We want to figure out what those are, apply them to our life. And then change or challenge. Like there's always something Jesus comes to them and he goes, hey, look, I know you're doing these things really well, but this one thing needs to change. This one thing I hold against you, right? This one thing I have a complaint about. But then in the end, check it out, it ends with hope. Everybody likes hope, right? It ends with a reward. We all like rewards. I love rewards. Everybody likes getting rewards. In fact, I guarantee you, if your mom's still alive on this earth, she probably still has some of your childhood rewards, right? Because when I go home to visit my mom, she reminds me about them. She still has rewards I got when I was in grade school students, right? Some in middle school, I didn't get very many rewards in middle school. And I got a couple of them in high school. I started to figure some things out again, right? So my mom still has those things. We all like rewards. Well, in the end, there is an incredible reward. So let's dive in. The book of Revelation, the first few chapters. If you have your Bible, then I want you to open it up to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't, get your iPhone out, get your Android phone, your Google phone out, whatever it is. Search for the, the Bible app version. You know, click on the three dots, go to events, and you'll find New Life Church wherever you live. You'll find the closest New Life Church, and you'll be able to get our sermon notes, which are going to be things you're going to want to have. Then you can hit save right before they disappear today, and you can review those throughout the rest of the week. What a cool feature that is, getting my notes right now before we ever preach it. So, the book of Revelation, it was, it was written... Um, by one of the disciples of Jesus, his name was John. 
John was isolated on the island of Patmos because he was exiled there as a prisoner. Let me take you to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 9, where it starts to give you the background of where does this revelation actually come from? Some very insightful thoughts. So here, here it goes. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance which Jesus calls us to. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. This whole revelation comes from a man who walked with Jesus, one of the closest disciples to Jesus. And he's thrown onto this island called Patmos, which sits about 60 nautical miles off the coast of um, modern-day Turkey, or off of the old ancient town of Ephesus, if you have any idea where that was at, um, which we do, by the way, but if you do, then you kind of have an idea. It's the southwest from there. It's an island that's about 10 miles long. It's a rocky island with no trees. Uh, prisoners were sent there to work in rock quarries. So John is a man that for multiple days in a week has got some kind of a tool, a pickaxe or uh, some kind of a hammer and a chisel, and he is working in a quarry. Imagine what his hands are like, right? Imagine what his body feels like after day after day, month after month, year after year that he may have been there, what he actually looked like and felt like as he was a man isolated to a barren island to work in a rock quarry, hard labor, all day long. This is where, this is where the, the revelation comes from, and he's there because he won't stop preaching God's word. They threaten him with this type of, be, uh, this type of lifestyle, but he goes, yeah, but listen, this is what I know about God, but this is the testimony. This is what he's done in my life. This Jesus is real. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. So it's both the preaching of what he knows and the personal testimony, and this man is thrown onto this island. This is what I love about it, though. In the midst of this hopelessness, it was on the Lord's day. And what does he do? He decides, I'm going to start worshiping God. And he starts singing the songs that he knows. And he starts remembering the scriptures that he knows. And he starts praying in the Spirit. Because it says he's worshiping in the Spirit. Right? He is in this place where he is alone with God. Why, church? Because he wants to get some letter called the book of Revelation that he could write and he could be famous for all of mankind to know about him. Here we are 2,000 years later still talking about him? No. He's worshiping in the Spirit because he wants to be close to the Master. He wants to know who Jesus is. He's trying to come back to those moments and not lose those moments when he walked the streets of Jerusalem, when he walked along the shores of the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, when he ate meals with him, right? when he talked with him, when they prayed together, when he saw the miracles take place. He doesn't want to lose that. And so he's praying in the Spirit, and something is coming alive inside of his faith, and he's being strengthened on the Lord's day. That's where we find John, and it's in that moment that suddenly this revelation starts to come to him. Can I just say this to you and me? Let's take the same approach in this series that John was taking on the island of Patmos. Let's take the same approach. The same approach would be what? It's on the Lord's day, and all we've come to do is to seek our master. 
It's on the Lord's Day. And here you are on the Lord's Day. If we'll just make one more move on the Lord's Day, then here's what I guarantee will happen today or, to, or next week or every Sunday in this series. There will be some element of revelation that will come to you as well. That if we come to seek him on the Lord's Day with that tender, soft heart that John came to seek God with, then we know what God's word says. Those who seek him with all of their heart, they do what? They find him. That's what I want to have happen for you. So what's the very first thing that he finds in this revelation? This first letter written to this very first church called Ephesus, he finds out who Jesus is. Now he knows who he is. He's walked with him. But what's the very first thing that happens Jesus starts to reveal himself to to John just a little bit more as he's writing to this church of Ephesus. Why? Because Jesus wants to be the centerpiece of his church. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. I just know this, that if Jesus is the centerpiece of your life, your life, your life comes alive. But if Jesus isn't the centerpiece of your life, then you're lost. And so what do we need? We need our ultimate motive to be this. Jesus, I want you to be the centerpiece of my life. How does that happen? Here's how Jesus becomes the centerpiece of your life. Jesus, I know that you love me. That's it. How does Jesus become the centerpiece of your life? I know that Jesus, you love me. Right? And once you get that, then the second part can come. So I love you. We oftentimes make Christianity way too complex. You love me, I love you. That's my ultimate motive. That was John's ultimate motive when he was worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. You love me, so I love you. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. That means this, I honor you, Lord, and I wanna live a life that's right for you, and that's right right according to your word. Why? Because you love me, I wanna love you. It's that motive. It has nothing to do with anything else that's going to come or what anyone else is going to say. Why do I do that? Why would I want to confess my sins to the Lord? Well, first and foremost, you love me, therefore I love you. Guys, that's got to be our motive. And when our motive is, you know, God, you love me, I love you, now we're way more open Right to receive the word of correction and change. And we're way more open to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit on what we need to alter in our lives. So as Jesus grows to become the greatest centerpiece in your life, then your motivation also becomes, what are you trying to say to me? I want my life to line up with you. So first and foremost, Jesus wants his church to know him. So he starts out by saying these very first words in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, says this. This is the message from the one. Who's the one? Jesus. This is the message from Jesus who holds, watch this. This is the revelation of Christ for us right now. Who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks. Everyone say walks. He walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all I know all the things you do. This is the revelation of Jesus right here. 
Like you might be thinking to yourself, well, what in the world does this mean? He holds these seven stars in his right hand? Like what in the world does that mean? I just know this. I'm going to tell you. We're going to show you what it means because Jesus is the one who gave it to us. But if I hold something in my right hand, I'm in control of it. Very first thing right off the bat Jesus is trying to say is that like whatever I hold in my right hand right now, I am the master of. So what is it? The good news is that Jesus gives John the exact meaning of this in chapter 1, verse 20. He said this to John. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches that I walk among. So what is it that he holds in his hands? He holds these angels Basically, these messengers, and it's not just seven that he holds. It's symbolic of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, holding, holding this universe in his hand, holding all things in his hand. He is controlling this world that you see and this world that you don't see. See, like when you look at this idea and you're like, he, he, these angels, these messengers to these churches, what all does that really mean? Well, when you go into the New Testament in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, this is what we find out. For through him, being Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. What are the things that you can't see? Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the what world? Unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. When he says he holds... Those seven stars in his hands, he's literally driving home for you and me. I, ho I own the world that you see and the world that you don't see. I own it. I hold it in my hand. I am the creator of it. All of it was created for me, and it was created through me by the Father. All of it was. I own it. I hold it in my hand. No one else owns it. I control it. It's in my hand, and no one can take it out of my hand. The very first thing that Jesus reveals to his church is that he ultimately is in control. Secondly, he goes, look, these lampstands, they represent the local church. What do we know about the local church when it comes to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. It says that Christ is also the head of the church, which is what? His body. Today, as we've gathered here on the Lord's Day, Jesus is the head of the church. I might be called the lead pastor, but Jesus is the senior pastor. I might be called one of his shepherds, but he is the ultimate shepherd. Like, it's his church. You belong to him. You are his body. You're not this body. You're not my body. You are his body. That's who you belong to. That's good news all by itself right there. Right? And look, he says this. I come and I want to walk among my body. Jesus isn't trying to be distant from you. He wants his church to know, I want to know you. I want to know you intimately. I want to know you in a relationship. Like, I want to be close to you. This is the God that we serve, guys. Jesus holds it all together because he's the head of the church. And once you get that, once that starts to become like an awe factor in you, like, wow, God, you control it all. You control what I see and what I don't see. Now, I, why, why do I doubt you? When you start to get the awe of that, then you're ready for the rest of the letter. Because the rest of the letter starts out by talking about the things that we need to be doing. 
right? Because these things that we need to be doing are the things that this church of Ephesus was doing really well. Jesus was in first, he was encouraging the local body. After this revelation of who he is and these things that he was encouraging them with, I want us to look at these and apply them to our life. Because if Jesus says these are good for them, then they're good for us. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, Look, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they are liars. And you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. What does he say that they do, that they're doing really well, that you and me should be looking at our lives? First and foremost is this, that they patiently endured. Here's what he means by that. He means this about the church of Ephesus. You are a group of people unwilling to give up and unwilling to back down. That even when you face opposition and you face persecution, which by the way, they did, you are patiently enduring to the end. You're not walking away. You're not giving up. In fact, when you face opposition and persecution, in fact, it's like you get stronger. And church, this is what we need to see in our lives. We need to see patient Patient endurance in our faith. We've got to see that today. Right now, it's got to start coming alive. So if, if your faith feels stale, will you patiently endure? Or will you do what a lot of people do? Which is they start to drift from God because it's like the fire is no longer in the heart. Like something's missing, something's you know, gone. I, I don't know where it went. Like when we start to feel stale in our faith, will you patiently endure? And will you say, Jesus, I don't feel it right now, but I know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords of this world and the world I don't see. You sit on a throne that's over multiple kingdoms. You sit on a throne that no one else can challenge. I might not feel it, but you're still King of kings and Lord of lords. Like that's patient endurance, right? When life takes some of its worst turns, will you still be patiently enduring? When tragedy strikes, when you get that report at the doctor's office that you really were hoping not to get, when you get that phone call that you never wanted to get, will you do what many do, which is they turn from their faith, they let their heart get hardened towards the gospel, and they blame God for their pain and for their suffering? Or will you allow your heart to stay soft and say, God, even though I don't understand it, Even though I don't want to go through this, I know that you are ultimately in control. And and would you lead and would you guide me and would you give me hope in the midst of despair? Would you give me hope in the midst of the storm? Because that's what it looks like to patiently endure. And I know this, that future patient endurance, when you walk into the storms of life that are going to come, future patient endurance can be secured today by remaining faithful today. See, do you know if you're going to be ready for the next storm that's going to come? Right? Some people will go, like, I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you this. Yes, you can know. And it all comes from this. Remaining faithful today. Remain faithful in what ways? Like, remain faithful to God. Be in his word. Be in prayer. Stay faithful in the large group gathering of worship like we're doing today on the Lord's Day. Right? Be a part of a life group, a small group where someone knows you. They know your name. They know your journey. Right? They know where you're coming. They know where you're going. And they're doing, the life, they're doing life with you. Like, remain faithful in the large gathering and the small gathering. We're launching life groups right after Labor Day. So 
patient endurance. We need a little bit more of that in our lives. The other thing that he said to them that you guys are doing amazingly well at is this. You don't tolerate evil people. Now listen to me carefully on this one, okay? Because we live in a warped world right now. And when you hear the word like tolerate, it, it, mean, it means something to, to, to one person and something different to another person. And I, I, this is not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying that you don't tolerate evil people like you cancel out people. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying that you shut other voices down. He's not saying, hey, congratulations, you guys do a really good job of condemning sinful people. That's not what he was saying. In fact, he was saying just the opposite. He was saying this to them, that he was commending them for not conforming their faith to a lifestyle of sin that was in the world in which they lived. Now that's a very difficult thing for us. We live in a world that is putting a lot of pressure on Christianity, putting a lot of pressure on biblical truth, right? And they're demanding in ways that your faith convert to a worldly standard. And if it doesn't convert to a worldly standard, then they start using, you know, difficult titles and start inflicting some harm and pain like calling people bigots and extremists, you know, right? And that you're, you're just a fanatic, like you're just out there. And when you try to live a biblical truth, that's what you get labeled. And so we don't want those labels. So here's what many Christians do. Then they allow their faith to be converted, watered down, lowered to a standard that fits the world so that it doesn't become abrasive anymore. And I just want you to know, that's not the lifestyle that Jesus has called us to. I want you to know that it's possible to be strong in your faith in a loving way. I want you to know that all that comes down and boils down to your motive, your motive to let Christ be at the center and for the love of Christ to be displayed through your life to this world. That's all you can control, by the way, is your motive. You can never control what people think about you. You can't control that. You can't control what others will say about you, but what you can control is your motive behind your action. So can I just encourage you to do this? Err on the side of loving this sinful world versus judging this sinful world. Here's the reason why. You and me were never given the license to judge this sinful world. You're not gonna find it in God's word. That's his job. Here's what he did say about judging. The only people that we are given the license to judge are those who are in faith, in your local church, in community with you, by the way, and you're to call them out, right? You're to judge them in the sense of like, I'm calling you out because you said that you're a follower of Christ, but you're, you're over here. Like it was meant for a loving correction to keep Brothers and sisters, on the straight and narrow path that leads to life through Christ. And that's what we're supposed to do. It's not judging a sinful world. So err on loving and watch your words, because your words matter. Words matter. Words that you say in social media, they matter. Words that you say around a, a coffee table at Starbucks matters, by the way, because 12 other people are listening. Like it or not. Words that you say, they matter. Trust me, I say many, many words. Too many words sometimes. Right? And I just heard an amen. There it is. Just messing around. Just messing around. No, no, I do, man. And my words are recorded and they're put online forever. 
I know the power of words. I know when they're used correctly, and I know those unfortunate moments when you cross the line. And guys, I just tell you right now, let's err on the side of loving. Let's watch our words, because remember, Jesus was called something. He was called a friend of sinners. And when he was called a friend of sinners, I do not believe that Jesus was called a friend of sinners because he watered down his message and he changed his ways to appease them. That's not why. He loved God with all, he loved his father with all of his heart. He maintained a pure life. He was a friend of sinners because he was the most unique person that's ever walked this earth. He had a way of being righteous and loving at the very same time. And that's what he'll empower you and me to do. Amen? Lastly, which is I think this is something he told them that you guys do amazingly well, that you guys need to hear today is this. He said, look, you guys, you, you've examined the claims of those who say that they're apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they're liars. Why is that so important? Why am I highlighting that today? It's vitally important. See, back then, someone may have called themselves an apostle, but they were not but you may never even sit in their teaching. You may never even read the letter that they wrote. But today, someone calls themselves a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, an apostle, an evangelist, a prophet, and they're online. Right now, you can get on your phone. You could access hundreds of them. How do you even know that that person's a real prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher? How do you even know? Like we're, we're absorbing information and we don't even know where these people are at. I'm just telling you right now, we live in a pretty interesting moment where you can access people who say they're one thing, but they're living a completely different lifestyle. And you can present yourself any way you want to in an online fashion. But if you can't get to the bottom of what is the fruit of their ministry, then just be careful. That's all I'm saying. We believe here at New Life Church that there are a lot of amazing ministries online. Some are big, by the way. Big's not bad. Some are big, and they got some great things that they can invest into your life as a substitute to the ministries that we provide here at New Life Church. Some of those are small, and they can invest into your life as well. And if you want help finding some of those online ministries that are super helpful, that can help develop you, build you, make you into the disciple that you're looking for, you know, give you the information that you want to search God's word with, please find one of the pastors at New Life Church, and we'll be more than happy to evaluate the website you found or point you in a direction that's going to be healthy and helpful, okay? Because that's what we want for your life. Amen? All right. So those are the things that they, those are the things they did well, but there were some things that he said, look, you got to change these things. Here's correction, right? And can I say this to you? A loving father brings correction to their children. And parents that are here right now, like, just hear me out, okay? Because I raised four kids. That's not an easy job. Your, your kids need you to bring godly, Christ-centered correction to their life, both in private and sometimes in public. And like, do that in a Christ-centered way, but, but do that, because that's what our Lord and Savior is doing for us right now. In a loving way, he's correcting us. Why? So we live a life that honors him. Look at uh, Revelation 2, verses 4 through 5. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first, Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. Guys, we need this challenge right now. We need this. Like, we needed to hear this. We need to say, look, Jesus, you wrote that to me right now. Right now. God, we're challenged right now to, to live a life that loves you and doesn't back down from that. And it loves others. Can you remember can you remember what it was like when you first discovered the, the love 
of Christ in your life and how exciting it was. It was like fireworks going off in your heart. Like you could barely contain it. You wanted all of your friends to know about the love of Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Return to that. Remember when you wept in the presence of God, you came to a church and you sat there and all you could do was at moments just weep and you didn't know what was going on and you thought that something was wrong on the inside until you figured out that you were in the presence of God and there was nothing you could do other than to weep? He wants you to return to that. You remember when you read God's word and it came alive to you and it was like, wow, look what this says. This is crazy cool. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe what I'm reading. This is so awesome. He's like, look, I want you to return to that. You remember when you know, like the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin to the point that led to repentance? He wants you to return to that. Remember when you went on your first missions trip and you were someplace overseas or someplace in America and man, your heart was so alive with fire of like what God can do and you had seen God do some amazing things and man, you came back and you were on fire and you're like, I'm never gonna lose it. He wants you to return to that. Remember when you used to tithe out of a gratitude and thankful heart versus obligation? He wants you to return to that. He wants you to remember those things and return to them. See, the church of Ephesus, they had lost all of that. Here's the scary part about this church, which is about us as well. That they held on to doctrine, but they had lost their passion for Jesus. This could happen to you and me today. They served and they worked for God, but they lacked a Christ-like compassion. They were incredibly busy doing church things, but were spiritually dry and barren at the very same time. And the very same thing could be happening to us today. So how do you avoid that? How do you return to God and let him be your first love and love others at the very same time? How do you get back to that? Did you guys realize that Jesus gave us the ingredients for that in verse five that we just read, by the way? So let me go back and show it to you. He said, look, look at these three things. Follow these three things. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. First, look, remember, go back. I know it might be painful because of how far you have come, but go back and remember when your faith brought you to tears, when your faith brought you to raise your hands in worship, when your faith so passionate for Jesus that you couldn't get away from it. Remember that. Then turn back. Repent. Repent. Come back to me. And then what? Start doing the things that created that fire in the beginning. Look, turn back, and do. If we follow that path, it leads us right into the reward. What was the reward? What was the piece of hope that Jesus gave his church and he's giving to you and me? It's found in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 2. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. What's he, what's he saying? Well, the tree he's talking about is the tree that was in the garden when Adam and Eve walked in the garden. The tree of life. That Adam and Eve, they ate from this tree and it sustained their life. That mankind was cut off from because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. Like Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to bring you back to that place where I will be the sustainer of your life. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be less about the fruit you eat and more about what Jesus was trying to symbolize for us. Watch this. What really happened 
What really happened when the tree was accessible by Adam and Eve? Jesus came and he walked in the garden with them. To him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he does what among the lampstands, the churches? He walks. What he's saying to you and me is this. Look, I used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And for those who will return to their first love, those who will patiently endure, I will walk with them today, and I will be with them face to face for eternity. The same God who walked with Adam and Eve is the same God who wants to walk with you today. Can you imagine what it would be like? Jesus, who walks among his churches, walks the very aisles of this auditorium right now. What would it be like? Can you imagine it? Can you close your eyes and imagine you walking and talking with Christ? He's saying, look, spirit to spirit, that's what I want to be with you. I want to be that close to you. But what do you have to do? You have to return to your first love. You have to love others like I love them. You have to patiently endure. And if you don't, then what did he say about the lampstand? I'll remove it. I'll remove it. So church, for you and me today, let's follow Galatians 6, 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time, you will reap a harvest, a blessing, if you don't give up. So come back to your first love. Come back to the first love and walk with Christ again. Follow, follow Jesus and fall in love with him again, right? And then repent of just doing Christianity without Jesus being the centerpiece. That's what we need to come back to. We need to patiently endure and, and, and let the love of God become the source of our life again. We ought to let Jesus become the centerpiece of our hearts again. And we have to fall in love with Jesus again. And if we do, the one who walks among the lampstands, the one who walks among the church, the one who walked with Adam and Eve will be the one who's close to us, walking with us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, not just on the Lord's Day when he came to worship in the Spirit, but as you and me walk with the Spirit every single day, he who walks among the lampstands will walk with you. Jesus, your Lord and your Savior. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let me pray for you as we get ready to worship. Lord, today, today your word brings life to us. Today your word brings hope to us. Lord, if we will respond to you, if we will say yes to you, and we will love you because you loved us, you will lead us into everlasting life. Lord, you want this reward, this place of hope for all of us. And Lord, today as we kick off this series, Lord, I just pray that as students are going back to school, they're starting a new year, may we also start a spiritual new year with you. May we return back to our first love. Whatever it is that keeps us from you, may we look and remember, and may it entice us to repent and start doing what we did at first. It's humbling, Lord, yes, for many of us, we're going to have to confess and admit things we don't even want to confess and admit. But when we do that, then we come face to face with you, Jesus. We get to walk with you. If we don't do it, we don't get to walk with you. Lord, may, may the imagery of us walking with you entice us, entice us into coming back to our first love. 
May the reminder that you loved us bring us back to loving you again. May you bring, may you bring us back to a place where, Jesus, you are the centerpiece of our lives again. In Jesus' name, amen.